0: getting them outside and allowing them to have that time to get bored and play together outside is really key.
1: You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 375. Today we're talking about the key to making kids stronger and more resilient with Angela Hanscom. Of kids hey welcome back to the mindful mama podcast my friend listen if you haven't done so yet please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything and if you've gotten something from the podcast do me a favor please go over to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review just helps the podcast grow more it takes like 10 seconds and it makes such a big difference i hugely hugely appreciate it in just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Angela Hanscom, a pediatric occupational therapist and founder of Timbernook, an award-winning developmental and nature-based program that has gained international popularity. She's the author of Balanced and Barefoot, How Unrestricted Outdoor Play Makes for Strong, Confident, and Capable Children. Angela is also a frequent contributor to the Washington Post and in 2019 won a Small Business of the Year Award for the state of New Hampshire. And we are going to talk about how children's lives are becoming so much more virtual and how teachers and occupational therapists are noticing this decrease in attention and doctors are reporting an alarming increase in sensory and emotional disorders. So how can you make sure your kid is healthy and resilient and strong instead We're going to talk about the power of outdoor play and how you can make it happen in your life. So join me at the table as I talk to Angela Hanscom. Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over. You're losing it and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent. You don't have a cohesive method and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In mindful parenting, you can learn how to stay calm even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I'm really enjoying your book, Balanced and Barefoot. My um, pregnant neighbor doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to be giving it to her.
0: Oh, perfect. <laughs>
1: when I'm done, I'm so excited. But you write in your book, um, the cold hard truth is that when you compare today's children to past generations, they just can't keep up. Children are getting weaker, less resilient, and less imaginative. Pretty strong words. So can you tell us more about that? What's What do you see that's going on?
0: Yeah, there's actually a lot happening. Um, some of the key things that I kind of paid attention to in the beginning of my journey was interesting sensory issues. Like I had a little boy come in for therapy in a clinic setting uh, because traditionally occupational therapists work indoors. And so I was working in a sensory gym and I remember a child coming in that didn't like wind in his face and really struggling with how to treat that in a clinic setting. um, I was thinking, should I get a fan and blow the fan on the child? Um, A lot of kids not wanting to get dirty. Um, They don't like glue on their fingers. But the number one issue that we're having to treat is balance. Um, So more and more kids are literally falling out of their chairs and onto the ground in a school environment, starting to run into each other more frequently. Um, But having troubles with spatial awareness is a a number one issue.
1: Wow. Okay. So you're seeing that you know, uh, then physically, right? This is the, that we can't, that today's children can't keep up with the way kids have been in the past. And this is a pretty marked change as far as like strength, resilience, but you also say Mm -hmm. less imaginative. So what is it? What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. So, um, I remember interviewing teachers when I was writing this book and uh, veteran teachers had been around at least 30, 40 years. And, Um, one of the things that they were seeing in the recess environment was kids were more apt to play imaginative games years past. Of course, they had a longer recess session, so that is definitely part of the issue. But um, nowadays, they're seeing kids play uh, more structured games like tag or playing on and off a play structure, but a lot less imaginatory type play.
1: So less pretend play. I mean, uh, from my mind, pretend play, that is like the key thing from childhood is like playing pretend, like you be this, I'll be this, we'll do this, right?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, so you're seeing, so you started to explore this. Tell us a little bit about how you came to write this book. You're seeing these effects. You're seeing these kids falling out of their seats, kids who can't deal with wind, a lot of things. And um, how, how did that work translate into this book and this exploration?
0: Sure. Yeah. So when I had children of my own, it became a very personal journey for me. Um, I was noticing my oldest was about to go to kindergarten and a lot of her friends needed occupational therapy. And really occupational therapy was kind of rare when I grew up in the early 80s it was really more reserved for children with more severe disabilities. So I thought that was interesting. In the meantime, in our clinic settings, we had a wait list that went out at least a year for children to have to wait for occupational therapy. And then a New York Times article came out where there was a significant rise in the past 10 years for for our kind of services. And then my daughter went to kindergarten and she was a young five. And I remember the teacher meeting with us ahead of time and looking at us saying, This is not kindergarten like you remember growing up. She said, mm-hmm. This will be more like first grade. She said, um, We don't have time to teach your children how to cut with scissors. So my husband's going to pre cut everything at nighttime. So we don't have to worry about that skill. She said, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if your kids can't tie their shoes, please put Velcro shoes on them or elastic laces because we don't have time to teach your children that skill. Finally, she said, there's five minutes for snack, but if it gets in the way of curriculum, it will become a working snack. So they'll have to eat while they do curriculum. And then she said, 15 minutes for recess. And these are, most of them were young five, five, six-year-olds, right? And she said, when it snows, and I you know, I was living in New Hampshire at the time, uh, it will be an indoor recess because we don't have time to change your children into their snow gear. And um, as an occupational therapist that works on developmental skills, you know, having no time for these developmental neurological um, skills, you know, didn't sit right with me. So I ended up pulling my daughter out of school and homeschooling for a couple of years. And I learned a lot about Finland where kids were in the river dissecting fish to learn about ecology. You know, they um, they were scoring way higher in math and science. Um, but they didn't start till they were age seven and they got out early around age 16 and did more trade type um, schooling. And so that really fascinated me. And the other connection I kept thinking about was um, we live on 12 acres of woodland um, in New Hampshire, or, or that's where Nook, um originated from. And sometimes I would take a shortcut through the neighborhood to get to that property there's a lot of children in that neighborhood. And I, one day it dawned on me, I'm like, where are the kids? Why are they not biking and, you know, playing in the streets or playing in their yards? And that's when I knew I wanted to do something with getting kids outdoors.
1: I see the same, like, I'm amazed at how few kids I see in my neighborhood. Like, I know there are kids of all ages, like in my neighborhood. I I live in a really a really, really like walkable neighborhood where there's walking paths behind and there's like big public greens and there's playgrounds and there's woods and there's all these things. And I'm kind of surprised how infrequently uh, when I go for a bike ride in the afternoon, I see kids after school. It's pretty, it's, it's amazing to me. Indoors is too, it's too interesting, I guess. So this is all, this is, this is this change that's happened, and and it's a really very profound change. And you talk about how all this time we're spending inside is hurting kids. Are, are is there anything that we miss as far as like the way that um, the way that all this time that they're now inside that we used to be outside is is
0: hurting kids? Yeah. In so many different ways. Um, I'll just start with one simple but profound way is that kids are in chairs for a majority of their day now, especially elementary and age up. And I was sitting in um, some a research study for an occupational therapist uh, here in America. And she said that kids are sitting about nine hours a day in a chair. Wow. So that's, you know, think about it. Um, we're not made to sit that long and Um, But my biggest problem with it is that kids are constantly in this upright position. Um, And what really needs to happen is they need to spin in circles, they need to go upside down, get into that anti-gravity position, um, and move in rapid ways, basically um, in ways that make adults gasp. And so we want them climbing trees and jumping off rocks and challenging their muscles and their senses. And the reason for that is because in your inner ear are little hair cells, and we need to move in those rapid ways to move the fluid back and forth and stimulate those hair cells. And that develops what we call your vestibular sense, which is your balance sense. And that sense is key to all the other senses. So if that's underdeveloped and kids are being overly restricted and not getting enough opportunity to move throughout the day, the fluid in the inner ear can thicken, um, And they can start to have trouble knowing uh, where their body is in space, um, which is important to be able to navigate their environment safely, get on and off that playground equipment effectively, stay in their seat without falling out. Um, And the way we treat that as therapists is we actually will have them spin in circles. And if you go in our clinic settings, we'll have swings hang from the ceiling. And we will place children in all different ways and spin them and that really helps them to know again where are their bodies in space so they can be safer and more effective.
1: That's so interesting about spinning too because one of the things you know I've talked about with my friends and and is the lack of merry-go-rounds now. Like when I was a kid like it was we were constantly on this merry-go-round. It was when there were like teenagers spinning it it could be petrifying <laughs> you held on for dear <laughs> life but it was awesome and so fun like I still remember that and I remember once we found one old-fashioned merry-go-round like in Pennsylvania somewhere in some park and I was like oh my god it's a real merry-go-round and I spun my kids fast on it and they are like oh my god mommy uh, <laughs> it was really funny though but they still remember that play that merry-go-round too but those don't exist anymore this is like the part of the safetyism where we're trying to protect kids and we're actually kind of hurting them because maybe they're not they're not getting their vestibular system exercised.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really basic physics. Like we've shortened slides, we shortened swings, we've taken away merry grounds and teeter-totters, and all of those um, were really therapeutic for children. The merry ground especially is um, if you look in our OT books, you'll see that that specific exercise where the child's on the outside is um, you know, for instance, like if I'm holding a child in a hammock and I'm I'm spinning on my own axis, but they're on the outside and they're spinning around me, that creates a centrifugal force in the inner ear, um, bends the hair cells in one direction, and that helps with sustained attention and grounding uh-huh. for the child. And uh-huh. so, yeah, that was like, and it's one of the most powerful uh, vestibular inputs you can give a child. It's even more powerful than a child just spinning on their own. So... It's interesting that we took that away and deemed them unsafe when it actually helped with, again, sustained attention and a really grounding effect on children.
1: We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math mysteries about true histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend you check it out to listen to Understood Explains. Just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. That's so funny. I think about how we did that. Like our kids want wanted that so much like spin me around in a circle, right? Like they love that. They wanted that desperately and my you know, my one daughter used to like, you know, walk between us and, you know, want us to swing her between two adults. And she taught herself how to flip over when we swung her. So she could just like flip all the way over. She scared us, of course, the first time that she just like flipped over. But these are things that kids need to do that and should should be doing, I guess.
0: Yeah. So a child will naturally seek out um, the neurological input they need at any given time. So if a child's, um, yeah, spinning in circles, it's because they're really trying to organize their senses. And, yeah. you know, um, sometimes I'll see a, a parent go, don't spin, you're going to get dizzy. Or, you know, get down from that rock because you're going to get hurt. However, if we keep, keep, um, keep children from doing those different movements, then we become the barrier to that neurological development that needs to happen.
1: Wow. So the whole this it's it's this idea of like we're this idea that we're trying to pre- that our number one job is to protect our kids and that we, they should be careful, right? Be careful is like a thing we are saying constantly. But it sounds like you know they need to be doing risky things. They need to be doing risky play and climbing and spinning and jumping and all of that.
0: Yeah, it's funny because we in a therapy clinic will constantly challenge children we call it the just right challenge we try to go a little bit higher um, mm-hmm. again to make improvements in sensory and motor development
1: this is amazing so i mean we're it's like we're in a culture that's kind of slowly moved towards this and so now we think that, you know, that it's normal and, you know, they're the way that kids are in playground. And you, t- you talk about this, that they're, you know, teachers aren't allowed to let kids like hang upside down in from monkey bars, or they're not even allowed to be on a swing on their belly. Um, I remember being so frustrated once being at the YMCA and seeing this kid climb on this twisty, climby thing. and. Was clearly climbing it and the te- the teacher was like no you can't climb on that because you're not x age yet but he could obviously do it but because he wasn't a particular age yet he wasn't allowed to do that and, and yeah, this is everywhere i guess or it's yeah. mostly in the united states or is it everywhere do you know i don't know
0: uh yeah so it definitely is happening everywhere i mean the the change and development is happening i mean even in New Zealand, I've talked over there in mm. Australia and they're they're seeing changes as well, even though you picture children barefoot outside New Zealand. <laughs> so
1: okay, so let's talk about getting outside. And for for me, this is like a huge value for me. Like where we bought our house, it's on a cul-de-sac. I'm just like, I can see a little park that goes into a patch of woods, right? Out my window, and this I was like, "This is perfect for kids. It's a cul-de-sac. This is a little patch of woods. This is great." But kids aren't getting enough time outdoors. Why is it the? You know, we can imagine spinning, we can imagine doing these movements, but you say particularly outdoors is important. Why is that so?
0: Yeah. So even when you step outside, especially into nature, then um, you know, once you step outdoors, multiple synapses are firing in the brain because more um, senses are being engaged, right? So like if you picture being in a room right now versus being outside in the woods or on the beach, you start to think about what, what senses are being engaged out there that you're not getting in that room, like wind, you know, we talked Mm -hmm. about that, um, temperature changes, you might hear nature sounds, different smells, and all of that again helps, um, Fire more synapses in the brain and your chances for that organization in the brain are going to be higher. The other ideal state for that sensory organization to happen, again, that's laying the foundation uh, for learning and paying attention, is to be in a calm but alert state of mind. So again, you think about the colors you see outside, you know, greens and blues, um, browns, those are very calming stimuli. Um, You know, even certain smells of trees will reduce cortisol levels in the brain. There's a reason why um, your doctor will say, take your babies outside. It's very calming. Mm -hmm. But you're alert, aren't you? Because the ground's uneven. Um, You're constantly adjusting your body. Um, You know, there might be an animal running by. So you're in this calm alert state. And um, you want to think about what percentage of time are children in an environment that's conducive to that organization and then what percentage of time are they in an environment that could be um, disorganizing or dysregulating? Um, you know, it could be that they're in a classroom and there's they're really close to other children. And that can be disorganizing for children. Um, it could, the noise level often goes up when you're in a mm-hmm. classroom, there's, more posters on the walls. There's more transitions often in children's lives than, than they're made to tolerate. Um, constantly having to change direction, and that can be very disorganizing to their brain. Um, so stepping outdoors is is really a natural environment that's conducive to that organization of the brain. That's, that's one reason why <laughs> uh, nature is re- important.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can... S- experience all that. Like you go outside, you feel better, your stress levels reduce, kids go outside, you feel better. Um, and you talk about how outdoor play helps kids who struggle in traditional cal- classrooms. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So um, playing outside, um, you know, often we'll have uh, field trips come out and out at Timbernook they really have hours to dive deep into play schemes. And so often teachers will go out and will see children become leaders that don't always take that role in an indoor setting um, mm-hmm. and find motivation where maybe there was a lack of motivation in a traditional setting before.
1: Okay, cool. And they're, you know, and they're they're out in the world, they're getting confidence, they're building awareness, all of these things. You were the creator of Timber Nook. You mentioned it a couple times. Tell the listener what it is.
0: Okay. So really, we provide outdoor play experiences for children, um, typically in the woods, and that's where timber comes from. Um, Timber means, you know, trees. And then nook is like a hidden place, um, nook or cranny, away from the adult world. Um, So basically, it's their opportunity to have um, as authentic play as possible. So the adults actually... Kind of fade back um, and allow children to direct their play. And we allow for um, hours. So at least, usually it's at least three hours of playtime that they have out there.
1: And we've had Peter Gray on the podcast who's talked about how kids play is it's not it's not really kid directed like kids play harder and more when an adult isn't present so that idea of the kid the adults fading back is important the kids actually get more exercise they they get deeper into play all of those things when the adults aren't there so we interfere with their play so it sounds like you guys are deliberately practicing to not interfere
0: yeah, and what we've noticed over the years is if, let's say, um, kids were building a teepee, if we're standing right there, um, the kids would turn for seeking a constant adult reassurance, like, is this okay? You know, can you do this for me? What do we do next? Or there'd be more tattling. And what we notice is if we took like 20, 30 feet, went away and got down low, so reducing adult presence but they're still being supervised because play can change quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. They would start turning to each other to solve their own problems and initiate play ideas. And that's something you brought up as well is, you know, often our society has um, gotten to the habit of directing children's play so much that children are losing the ability to just even initiate play and then have time to execute that play.
1: Because we're replacing playtime with like, you know, soccer for three-year-olds and five-year-olds and things like that. And you talk about how, like, our, our sports are just so different than they were 30 years ago. Is it, is it because uh, there's so many organized activities that kids aren't having a chance to organize their own activities and, and really practice that that essential thing that we, we think is, you know, I don't know, it's like the the thing that kids do when they play, but...
0: Yeah, I just think it's all. It can be all consuming. Uh, you know, my daughter played hockey for many years, and you know, she was like six or seven, and we were doing a travel team thing and driving all over the place. And it really, we had to drag our whole family. But it, often, what's happening is like the organized sports is not just a once a week or twice a week thing. Like when we were growing up, it's it's pretty consuming. Sometimes, almost every single day of the week is. Um, directed around that particular sport. Uh, so I really, I think we have to just take a step back and slow down, um, and allow for plenty of good old fashioned outdoor play time.
1: And you have recommendations. I love this because you get so particular and granular in this book about what kids are needed. You know, you, you talk about how much active play is enough. And I, you know, I, I, I have it open to the page, at page 85 in her great book, but um, that, you know, from infants to toddlers, to preschoolers, to school age, and to adolescents, do you want to take us through that? How yeah, much time so- do they need to be outside, or would it be ideal, like if we're just imagining an ideal world where work situation and all the things are great let's just imagine what would be ideal for kids to do. yes yeah.
0: so like i feel like my basic recommendation is at least three hours of outdoor playtime a day um at least for everyone and the and one reason why i say that is when i speak all over the place um i keep asking adults, how much outdoor playtime did you get growing up? And the numbers I get are pretty consistently between like four to six hours. I mean, everyone's different, but the majority fall within that range of how much playtime they got growing up. And, it, and it's changed. So when I ask them to think about how much playtime they get now, um, um, a child that they know that they work with, or it could be a child in their family, how much playtime they get, it's usually between 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And again, that can be every, everywhere from 50 minutes to more than that. But that's a significant change in the environment, you know, going from four to six hours of digging in the dirt, you know, climbing trees, um, stimulating those muscles and senses that we talked about to just, you know, I think research is like 48 minutes. That's a, that's a huge change. And so it's bound to affect development in different ways. So three hours, um, when I say that, sometimes people are like, that's crazy. But if you really think about it, like we got, most of us got more than that. And that was on a typical school day. It's just, again, prioritizing that outdoor playtime.
1: Well, what happens when the parents say, okay, I mean, this sounds great. I want this, Angela. Angela. I'm going to kick my kids out the door. Go play outside. You can't come in until dinner time. <laughs> come in when the street lights come on. That's what my parents used to say, right? Yeah, right. Make sure you're back when the street lights come on. Um, and the kids are back at the door in 5 minutes saying, "Can I come inside and play on my iPad?" What what advice do you have for a parent whose kid just doesn't know what to do or or, you know, is more intrigued by the inside stuff?
0: That's a great question and and I think that happens a lot actually and so um, sometimes I think people fall back into the habit of oh I need to ent- entertain my child or I need to find something for them to do and that's really not the approach we should be taking. So boredom is really important and having practice to play with items outside in different ways is really key. So let's say that child comes in, and they're like, I just see leaves, rocks, and sticks outside. You know, I have no idea what to do with them. Let's say you send that child back outside and they sit in the dirt and um, they pick up a stick because they're bored and they start digging with it. Um, what we call, we call this visual affordances. Like right now, the child has no affordances. But if they start digging with it, they realize I have one visual affordance. This can be a tool to dig with. And then let's say they start writing with it. Now they have two affordances. I can write with it and I can dig with it. Now let's say another child is playing in that vicinity and they use a stick to build a fort with. That child now has three ideas on how to use that stick in creative ways. Um, And so the more practice they get with that material and the more they see see other children use that material in different ways, uh, the more creative children get. And so at Timbernook, not only do we give them plenty of time to experiment, But we also provide loose parts like sticks. um, Tires is another material that can be used for many play. purposes. Um, I might think of 50 ways to play with a tire and you might think of 50 different ways, but I'm sure we're going to have some overlap, but I I bet I will inspire you to play with that tire in different ways and and vice versa. And so having other children involved, um, you know, I know Peter Gray talks about this a lot too. Mixed ages is really important, but that's all part of the inspiration to play creatively.
1: And this is tough because everybody else's kids are inside. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it literally is, is hard because, you know, we don't want to impose on anybody. We don't want to um, necessarily make other people feel judged by our values, you know, because I, I want my kids maybe not to maybe not have screen time on a weekday and be outside playing for three hours. The, and when I talk to other parents in the neighborhood, I'm worried that they're going to feel judged if I bring this up, right, that, the that they, so I guess this is where like organizing something is can really comes in handy, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, And that's really why Tim Burnett came about, um, you know, because to try to provide an opportunity because opportunity is huge. However, I do believe that parents have more um, can get really creative with this Um, and it doesn't have to be complicated I think getting out of the mindset of having play dates where it's like just Mm -hmm. an hour and an adult is directing the activity to moving towards having other children come over for the day and just having Mm -hmm. a little bit more time with those children. And then um, again, um, getting them outside and allowing them to have that time to get bored and play together outside is really key. Uh, Sometimes it takes an adult going outside with them because children might be nervous or it's so novel to them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just key that that adult doesn't direct the play for them. You know, that they, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, stay busy with chores, for instance, like raking or shoveling or whatever it is. Um, But another technique is putting adult items out there for children to be inspired to play with, um, such as fort building materials right? So a lot of kids like building forts, especially older kids. Um, So um, curtains, um, you know, like milk crates, um, planks, um, stuff like that is really fun for kids to experiment with. For little children, if you have mud in your area, you know, just um, experimenting with that and putting stainless steel pitchers and stainless steel trays right near the mud puddle to see what the children do with it. Or maybe you put trucks and planks right next to the mud puddle and see what children do with it. So just experimenting with your environment, allowing some inspiration. You don't even have to tell the children what they're for. In fact, it's better if you don't say this is for this. Just again, a little bit inspiration, a little bit staging your environment and the adult stepping back a little bit.
2: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clux. You've come to the right place.
3: anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing even about the tough stuff
1: and what Angela is talking about there's actual research about the adults getting involved and kids learning less there's like um, there's research about a toy right like where they with one group of kids the adult said this is how you do this thing and then within another gr- group of kids they just gave it to them and let them explore it and the kids who they gave it to them and let them explore it, learned, seven different ways that they could use this thing. Whereas the kids where the adult went in and directed them, they stopped exploring it because they, that's what they had been told it does. And so that they were done. Yes. Um, so we, we need to sort of back off what, and you actually have, I love how you have like suggestions for us. Like, go like clip your bushes <laughs> if you have to be outside, right? Like, I mean, it's a nice excuse to kind of like weed your garden. I mean, and, and that you're getting all the benefits of lovely outside time too. And, um, and I can't, I can't, I mean, I have to like follow you extended time. We would have a, you know, my kids, kids would have a friend over. They were so used to going in the woods. They would take these kids into the woods and they would go and be gone for a while inevitably like every single kid came back with wet feet like from being like walking in the creek but it was great like it was just kind of like a tradition that the kids came back with wet feet um but they would they'd be gone for a while and it was great and uh, and so it's part of it i'm thinking about the listener here and you know if you have young kids and you say okay that sounds lovely hunter but you know, I have a five-year-old, I can't just let my five-year-old loosen once, right? So part of it, I imagine it f- is scaffolding. Like I love this idea of like an, organ- an organization like Timber Nook. There's also like all those forest preschools now. So things like that, like I think that we should definitely seek out those things. But also if we don't have those, we can, I mean, we want to just use basic common sense as far as teaching them how basics, you know, safety and scaffolding for being outside and being out and about in the world or the woods, right?
0: Yes. And you
1: have some of that here.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah. So um, one, so what we were talking about is, yeah, just like a little bit of inspiration. Um, And then having other children over is another uh, huge benefit. And then phasing the adult out over time. So yeah, five-year-old might they might not be safe in the environment. They might be. I mean, it, you can't really go on age, right? So um, mm-hmm. like at, like we were talking about, but just watching them and what they're ready for uh, and then phasing yourself out. So eventually going inside, you know, it a lot of it has to do with trust and knowing – the environment around you and what your children are capable of. I had my children carry walkie talkies for a while when they oh, yeah, went we to did that. <laughs> did <laughs> you? Yeah. Yeah. We did it. Um, camping, but we, at one time I remember, um, finding the walkie talkie on a picnic table, they abandoned it, but, um, we tried. Um, but, and then, um, over time they became more and more capable and, uh, and trustworthy, um, And even my son now, he's seven and we're, um, he now bikes to his friend's house. And, but, um, we made really, um, a good connection with our neighbors. So she kind of checks in with me as well and lets me know he got here safely and, um, and then there was less communication going on because we've had that established that trust. I already know that he's safe. But the first couple times are, you know, I'm usually checking in a little bit more. Um, but he'll come home and say, I had burgers for lunch today. And then the next day he's like, I had mac and cheese today. <laughs> so um, but it's really neat once you can let go and they become very capable and independent with their play.
1: And I think I know your answer is, but I imagine you don't want to send that seven-year-old off with a smartphone to communicate with you.
0: Yeah, no. No, usually I connect with adults first. I just think it's really respectful, too, to touch base with them and make sure they're okay with it. And, you know, sometimes you have to find like-minded people or, Mm -hmm. you know, encourage them. Sometimes people are a little bit afraid as well. Encourage them, like, to come like send their children over to your house if they feel more comfortable with that or vice versa. But a lot of it is creating that village for children too. And that, that neighborhood or that, what, you know, whoever's in your vicinity as well.
1: Yeah. And dear listener, we did something similar for my daughter who's 12 this year. She st- took, uh started taking the, uh, we have an e-bike. She started taking it to the barn. So the barn is, not that far away it's like three miles away but you have to kind of go down a big hill under the high like there's some major hills involved so the e-bike was really a nice solution for her to do this and she loves it and so she doesn't have a phone yet and you know we sent her off and all we did it's so simple in some ways to like have a kid without a phone communicate with you because everybody else in the world has a phone
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: I had to, I had to teach her how to use like the landline at the barn. But so for the first couple, you know, for the first week or so, she did that. She called us when she got there and we were like, okay, great. You made it. You know, we're, we're good to know that. But it's really simple to find for kids without a phone, to find a phone if they need to communicate with you and if they've, if they've memorized your phone number.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's great life skills too, um, to have them check in or a parent check in and as well.
1: And the life skills of like teach your kids how to cross the street, right? Like teach your kids, you know, if some, you know, what to do if if things happen. So you talk about um, we want to be the kids could should be spending time outside. We want them playing outside. Do kid, children get the same benefit from playing on a playground as they do from playing in the woods? Which is more beneficial, and why?
0: Well, I'm a little biased. <laughs> I feel like playing in the woods offers. Um, endless opportunities, whereas you're a little bit restricted again on a playground um, for for many reasons. But just to name a couple of obvious ones, in the woods, um, like we talked about, stick has endless play opportunities, and then you know um, rocks, everything has endless play opportunities. So that's a big one. And then you have all the sen- senses are going to be engaged in different ways, um, and they're constantly. V- there's constant variation, too, when you play out in the woods when, versus playing on a playground. For instance, if you're going on monkey bars, um, you're always going to hit the same point of contact on your hands. And often you're going to get blisters because a certain part of your hand is strong, uh, another part remains weak, and then you get a break. Whereas if you're climbing trees, every time is different. It's like cross-training. So you're going to put Mm -hmm. pressure on different parts of your hand and develop all of the skin and muscles, um, different parts of your upper body. So it really is like cross-training. So I think of playing outdoors and in the woods, you're going to get a more holistic approach um, to um, health and wellness for children.
1: Now, for the parent who's worried about their kids falling down from the tree... What do you say to that person?
0: Well, it's funny because usually the kids that can't, that you know, you really don't want high in the tree can't get up there. Like their spatial awareness is off, um, their strength isn't quite where it should be. Uh, it's usually the children that are really strong and capable can scale a tree pretty well. Uh, you do, you could teach them sa- some safety skills, like obviously checking for branches. You know, um, making sure the limbs are alive. Um, you can set limits too. Like if you feel like a child is a little too high up there, you could calmly um, say, you know, that's, that's good right there. Why, why don't you show me that you can down climb? Because climbing down is a harder skill. Um, but it's okay. it's okay to set limits. I think it's just important to not set your bar too low for children because um, they really are more capable than we often realize.
1: That makes sense to me. I used to say, if you can get into the tree, you're great. Like I'm yeah. not going to boost you. No. The yes. Tree. <laughs> like you, if you can get in, okay, go for it. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point. Like we never want to put a child up in a tree because, um, yeah, that could be a very da- dangerous situation.
1: Yeah, and I used to say, like, you know, how are you feeling up there? Are you good? And if she, if she got too high for me, I would say. I feel really nervous just for me Come down <laughs> a little, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what if, a, what if parents live in an area that doesn't provide easy access
0: to nature? So I guess I would, if I were them, I would just kind of keep in mind what is in my environment and try to use that. Um, and even if it was in a city or if it was like, um, Blacktop. I would. I would still try to find a way. There's. There's different initiatives where you know, in big cities, they've sh- shut down streets. You know, again, it's getting to know who's in your vicinity, establishing relationships, and and taking action to help children. Um, I've heard of people in neighborhoods where they go and they they've knocked on other people's doors and say, like, I want my children to be able to bike around with other children. Are you okay with that? And you know, um, I think. You, even if you're in a city environment or a more urbanized environment, even just getting outside and getting out there and moving around is, re- is really, really beneficial. So still trying to prioritize that. If you have natural parks, you know, trying to walk to the park with your child and allow them to play in that more natural space. Even in New York City, they have those, you know. So, a- again, trying to find what is in your environment and what can you do about it.
1: Okay. So you have, you have three kids. I know you have a little one and two teenagers. Yeah. And how did this affect the way you raised your kids? And I'm curious about that.
0: Yeah. So, well, my, my oldest, um, since I wrote the book, you know, the one that was five, she's now 17 and then I've got a 14 year old daughter and I can see the effects of having years of outdoor playtime on them now. Um, my, my oldest is probably the perfect example because you know they, they grew up in, at Timbernook and creating societies. They would establish roles and spies and you know, have wars out there. But she is um, she has a very strong sense of who she is as a person. And, um, she will set boundaries with people from having to like in-person social connection with other children, which is mm-hmm. becoming rare. I mean, if a lot of kids are on screens, screens these days and, you know, so she's very, um, she's very kind, but she's also, um. Very strong, you know. Like she'll she'll tell people like that's not okay, or you know, I'll do this, but I won't do that. She's just very confident with who she is as a person. She's got a lot of freedom, but she's also very trustworthy. And she will check in with me. She'll go visit. Um, she now drives to visit a friend and will call me <laughs> when she gets there. Hour, about five hour drive, and wow. so you know she's really earned that. Um, that right to, her roaming space is pretty big now, Um, but she's very um, capable. She's an all-A student. I think there are so many benefits to that, you know, thinking outside the box, playing creatively for hours, um, you know, having to be mentally flexible with other children's ideas, negotiating, trading, all that stuff came into play as a young, a young adult.
1: How did screen time play into this right? Like you are the founder of Timbernook you've had they have hours of outdoor playtime with other kids. They're in this ideal environment. How did what what were sort of your policies around screen time for your kids?
0: Well, neither of my daughters had a phone till high school, and I remember my oldest saying she lived under a rock and she was upset <laughs> with me, but she really I think looking back she really appreciates that cuz she again knows how to personally interact with with people. Um, without hiding behind a screen. I've noticed that's something that a lot of children are doing. Um, it's, really, it's It fascinates me. But um, And then, like, TV time, you know, we, only, we would do a movie as a family, like, once a week, but there was not a lot of screen time. I always felt like having too much screen time, um, like, we tried it for a little bit of having half an hour a day, and they became entitled to have that before they would go play. And mm-hmm. so we kind of just like let go of that and just have screen time as a special thing and try not to make it a big deal and mm-hmm. um yeah it's just that way they had all that that opportunity to have a childhood an old-fashioned childhood that's so uh, it's so beautiful
1: and I I think that's such a I, I think that's an incredible way for a child to be raised. And I imagine the listeners thinking like, that sounds great, but like my husband is like on the phone and I'm on the phone and we're doing these different things and, it, and it's not so easy. So what are some of the baby steps, I guess, that, that maybe they can take? What, what are some suggest, action steps for people to take it forward?
0: Yeah. So I think my biggest, um, my, my first step would be to make sure you have time for outdoor play every day. And, you know, you could start with an hour and increase that each day. That would be my biggest recommendation um, is um, time and then space, like find a space for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, limit screen and I bet, time. I bet be. when,
1: it, that, when that happens, like if you find that hour, of, I mean, kids are so much, like when behavior problems drop, you know, all that stuff drops when kids have the space to roam and they can choose what they want to do and they're allowed to get dirty and, you know, that kind of thing. I guess we need like clothes that they can get dirty. <laughs> you need to yeah. let your kids get dirty, but also start with an hour outside time a day and maybe increase it. So that maybe means, I'm you know, simplify the schedule or allow more space in the schedule if you can.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing is, I think, even um, making family time to be outside. So if that's going for a hike um, together, going on a canoe trip, but make it part of your uh, family life. And that's where you establish memories, um, good memories for the children. Um, And again, going back to my daughters, like, they... They now go on their own with other friends in the lake dirt biking for hours or they'll go hiking on their own. But it like translates into their life as well as they get older.
1: Yeah. It becomes like just a habit, a way of being. Yes. Angela, thanks so much, um, for coming on and talking to me about this. I've been, we have the same publisher. (laughs) I've been noticing your book for a number of years. I'm like, Oh man, that looks so, um, so great. And I think that, um, I think that this is a real call to action, you know, to, for us to create those spaces for kids. It's, it's really vital. And we can see that it's having, you know, the lack of that is having effects on kids now. Um, Thank you so much for, for writing Balanced and Barefoot, founding TimberNook, for doing this, this work. I think it's so needed and I, I really appreciate you doing that and taking the time to talk to us about it today on the
0: podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you liked this episode. I loved connecting with Angela and I think it's so so important this issue of like having our kids be out in their natural environment so if you enjoyed this episode please make sure you share it on your instagram stories and tag me in it at mindful mama mentor and i hope you have a great week my friend thank you so much for listening i'm so glad we could connect to you i hope you have lots of time outside time connecting with your kids and time for peace and rest too, as always. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Namaste.
2: Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.